Hey, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today because we want to stay connected with you throughout your week. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus. So without further ado, here's the message. Well, good morning, Fern Creek. It's great to see you. Thanks for sharing your weekend with us. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to introduce you to some, uh, some amazing people. God is on the move. Our church family continues to, to grow. There's always a room at the table for, for anybody, and uh, God is, is blessing our church. So I want to introduce you to last week. We had seven folks transfer their membership. This is Paul and Lynn Schneider, Kay and Jerry Schooling, Donna Hyde, Larry Menifee, that's my uncle, Uncle Larry. So uh, if he has any stories, his memory's fading. So just, you know, just, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And then I want to introduce you to Christy Warren. Now, Christy has transferred her membership, and Christy is in Ohio. She joins us online every Sunday, faithfully supports the ministry of the church. So I know Christy's watching today. So on the count of three, let's just say, hey, Christy. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, Christy. So we've got people just all over the place kind of hanging with us, and, and uh, we thank God for them. Uh, the other thing I want to get on your radar uh, before we get into the message is this Wednesday night, Rich and I are going to start an eight-week uh, kind, of kind of an experiment, kind of a journey we're calling Connect. Sometimes you hear words around here, and you're like, well, what does that mean? Connect is just an eight-week trial run of what a life group looks like. We really are big on groups. You know, when you come into church, you know, maybe you're looking for a new church, you want to come in and you want to kick the tires for a while, but at some point, we want you to be involved in community. It's not a solo sport. We're in this together. And so sometimes you're like, well, how do I, how do I find a group? Well, man, one way that you could find a group is just join Rich and I this Wednesday night for eight weeks. We're going to show you what potentially a group might look like, what it might feel like. We study twice a month, we serve once a month, and then we party once a month. And it really is a lot of fun. At the end of that eight weeks, if that's all you want, that, that's fine. And if that spurs you on to maybe, hey, I, I kind of like how this group thing works, then, man, we can help navigate you to another group. So if you're interested this Wednesday in kicking into a, a life group for eight weeks, there's a, there's a little round table with underneath the TV out in the lobby. Sign up, and we'd love to spend eight weeks just kind of hanging out with you. Welcome to week two of a series we're calling Solid. We're dipping our foot into a pool of study called apologetics. Kind of a fancy word for why do you believe what you believe. And in apologetics, Christian apologetics, what we seek to do is to give answers, to explain, you know, why, why it is we believe what we believe. And the scripture that we keep coming back to is a scripture passage I hope that you have tucked away somewhere. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, this is what God tells us to the apostle Peter. God says, Just always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope you have, but do it with gentleness, do it with respect, keeping a clear conscience. So this passage isn't just for pastors, it's for every single one of us. So what this series is about is if anybody ever asks me a question, if anyone ever asks you a question, Craig, why do you believe X? The scripture says I'm commanded to do one thing and only one thing, give an answer, give a reason. I, I'm not supposed to argue. I'm not supposed to prove. I'm not supposed to win. 
Bible just simply says, just give a reason, give, give an answer. And when you answer, be, be respectful and be loving to people. That, that's kind of what we're called to do. Now, when you think about answers, there's all kinds of ways you can answer questions, right? Like if someone comes up to you and says, why do you believe there's a God? You could do this. You could go, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I've studied this. I've been waiting for you. I've been praying for you to ask me this question. So why do I believe there's a God? Here it is. I believe there's a God just because I feels it in my heart. I just know my mama told me if it's good enough for mama, it's good enough for me. That's why I believe. Now, is that a reason? Yeah. Is that an answer? Yeah. It, it might not sit well with the other person, right? But it is a reason and it is an answer. But what if there were other reasons? What if there were other answers? Maybe answers that would be more, you know, uh, more structured, more provable? What if there's evidence that we can put in our toolbox? So what apologetics does is it just puts some tools into our toolbox that we can have that, that might help expand our answers. So I want to talk to you today about is there a God? How, how, is there a God? Now, turn to your neighbor. With, with this question, is there a God? There's only, what are the possible answers? Turn to your neighbor. What are the possible answers? What are they? Okay, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Really, there's only two answers. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Now, somebody would say, well, no, the ball-headed preacher man, there is another answer, and that is, I don't know. Well, that's not an answer. My limited knowledge does not dictate whether something is true or false. So just because I don't know doesn't mean that's an adequate answer. Either yes, he exists, or no, he doesn't exist, right? So, so I'm just going to give you my reasons for the hope I have. I'm not here to convince you, to argue with you, to, to even prove it to you. I just want to lay out why I believe there's a God, give you an answer for the hope that I have. Now, if there were a God, let's start here. If there were a God, you would expect to find some kind of evidence, right? I mean, if there were a God, we, we ought to be able to gather some things and weigh out the evidence and see which way the scales tip. And indeed, that's the question that, that Paul not only asked, but he answered 2,000 years ago. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He said, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that everyone's without excuse. But Paul says, if you want to know if there's a God, just open your eyes. Look at the world around you. Look at the stars. Look at the animals. Look at your body. You ought to be able to look at creation and see the fingerprints of God all over it. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. And what we do is we say, well, that, that Paul guy, man, he, that was written so long ago. I mean, his view of the world, his access to scientific technology was so limited. I mean, you know, from his perspective, he probably thought there was a God. But 2,000 years have come and gone and all the technological revolutions. I mean, we have, we have microscopes. And we can look inside a cell, something that Paul never even could fathom in his little pea brain. We have telescopes. We can look 
into the vast corners of the universe, seeing things that Paul, with his human eye, could have never seen. We have biology. We have chemistry. We have astronomy. Uh, And what has all this years of technological advancement proven? Well, it's, it's proven that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature are even more clearly seen. If you'll just look. So let me, let me give you the rationale for the hope that I have on why there's a God, because science tells me there is. <gasps> the bald-headed man said science and God in the same sentence. Yeah. Science has proven that the universe is expanding. Let's just talk about that for a second. Science has proven the universe is expanding. Now, 2,000 years before science came along, Paul said, since the creation of the world, P- Paul said the universe had a beginning. In Paul's mind, the universe wasn't eternal. It hasn't always been. It came into existence, something that until 1920, most scientists would have scoffed at. They would have ridiculed Paul, silly Paul, thinking that the world had a beginning. And then in 1920, some things began to happen. Scientists began to say, no, the universe hasn't always been. Do you know this guy with the crazy hair, Einstein? Albert Einstein was a scientist who who didn't want to admit that the universe was expanding. And as he was working on his formula, his formula kept coming back. No, the universe is growing. The universe is expanding. It's not static. It hasn't always been. And Einstein didn't like that. So Einstein fudged his formula. Did you know this? He fudged his formula. He put in a, what, what, what he called this cosmological constant. He put inside his formula an arbitrary force to counteract the force of expansion, and he was called on it. And he had to admit that it was something he shouldn't have done. As a matter of fact, if you you just Google Einstein cosmological constant, Einstein will say it was the biggest regret he ever had, biggest blunder he ever made. Maybe what helped him is in 1931, Einstein went to Mount Wilson Observatory. He met a guy named Edward Hubble. And Hubble was looking into space with a new piece of technology. It was a 100-inch telescope. He was seeing what no human being had ever seen before. And what he saw was amazing. He was able to see galaxies far beyond ours. And he discovered that they were moving away in all directions at different speeds. Galaxies closer to us were moving away slowly. Galaxies farther away were moving faster. The universe was expanding, growing, moving in all directions. And Hubble proved with this piece of technology that the universe wasn't constant. It wasn't eternal. Because if the universe was growing and expanding, if you did what? If you you rewind the tape, that was my rewind there, okay? If it's not in my notes, I get in trouble. I'm just telling you. But if you rewind, if we're looking farther back into time and everything's growing and moving, if you rewind the tape and you bring those constellations back, 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 they get what? They get closer, 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 closer. You rewind it far enough and you're going to find there's this point of what? Of origin when it comes into existence. Think about the, 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 the law of uh, thermodynamics. That, that proves that the universe is expanding, right? The second law of thermodynamics states that energy within a closed system, that energy will always degrade. 
How many coffee drinkers do we have? Do we have any coffee drinkers in the house? All right, you go get your cup of joe, nice and hot. You like it nice and hot. You stick it on the table. All of a sudden the phone rings and you got to go away for 45, 50 minutes. And you come back, is your, is your cup of coffee still hot? No, it's, it's degraded. The energy in that cup has degraded. It's gone from hot to what? To cold. So energy wears down. Energy dissipates. You turn on a flashlight. That energy will degrade. You leave that flashlight on, what happens to the battery power? It degrades slowly, slowly, slowly to where it, it won't work anymore. If you don't believe in the law of degradation, if you don't believe that things wear out, just look in the mirror. Uh, if you're over 50, you know this to be true. Let, let, I've done this before. Let me do it again. Let me show you how degradation works. This is a picture of me in high school, my high school yearbook. <laughs> okay, I've gained a few pounds. <laughs> no, that's not me. All right, let, let, let me show you. Go, let's go to the next slide. All right, so, so there's degradation at work right there, okay? Um, my body is wearing out, right? It's, it's just degrading. Like, like first the hair, right? <laughs> then the eyes, right? My eyes are wearing out. I got wrinkles, got pains all over, like I can grow hair in my nose and ears, but not on my head. What's up with that, right? And it just gets worse from there. Here's what I'm going to look like at 85 right there, okay? So let's, let's lay it out all together, lay it out all together. If you don't believe in the law of degra degradation, you're, you're mistaken, right? Things wear out, things decay. That's just, it, it not only works for people, it works for the universe. There's only a limited amount of energy, if the universe is expanding, it is increasing in its energy, right? It's de decreasing in its energy, actually. And so they're, they're, every, every scientist says, give it enough time, the universe will run out of energy. It degrades. Second law of thermodynamics. So again, if you rewind the tape, more energy, more energy, more energy, more energy, until there comes what? There, there's this or origination of energy. Right? C consider the law of motion, the law of motion. The law of motion states that an object will stay at rest until something puts it into motion. <clears throat> a ball does not roll itself. Wind or whatever, but it can't just will itself to roll. Your car cannot propel itself. It might get kicked into gear and something, but something's got to put things into motion, right? Our earth is spinning at 67,000 miles per hour. The Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, is moving through space at 448,000 miles per hour. The question becomes, what propelled it? Who propelled it? What put it in motion? And scientists say, ah, we've got that one. The Big Bang. The Big Bang started it. The Big Bang propelled it. The Big Bang caused it. The only question I got, I got is who rang the Big Bang, <laughs> right? Who lit the fuse of the Big Bang? Because here's, here's the deal. There's no natural explanation. Science cannot give us a natural explanation for why that happened, and here's why. There is no natural explanation. Now watch this. Think about this. Space, time, and matter. They all have to originate in the same second. You can't have space, time, and matter evolve. They all have to come in at the same moment. Let me, let me break this down for you. If all you had were time and space and you don't have any matter, you still have nothing. 
If all you have are space and matter, but you don't have time, when would you put it? If all you had are time and matter, but you have no space, where would you put it? So at the beginning, space, time, and matter have all, are all co-relative. They all have got to be there in the, in, the, in the instant that it all starts. What's the natural explanation? There is no natural explanation. There has to be someone beyond space, someone outside of time, someone before matter that kicks this whole thing into process. And the Bible, the Bible has, has, been, a, has been on top of this from the beginning. Did you know? That Christianity, the Bible, is the only sacred writing that talks about this. It's, it's the only one. Genesis 1.1, we know this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is an unmoved mover. There is an uncaused cause. There is someone outside of the space-time-matter continuum that kicks this thing into gear. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse 16. For by him, by God, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, things you can see, the things you can't see. Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is, what's the next word? He's before all things and in him all things hold together. The universe is expanding, and what that proves to us is that it had a beginning. And that beginning has got to be caused by something or someone outside of it, putting it into motion. So one reason that I might give is why do I believe there's a God? Because the universe had a beginning. And everything that has a beginning has a cause. Well, what about God? God has no beginning. There's someone outside of space, time, and matter that put it into motion. There's no natural explanation. It has to be a supernatural one. Well, is that the only reason? Well, no, there's several more. As I look around the world, I look around the universe, what are other evidences for my hope in God? Well, when I look around the universe, <clears throat> I don't see randomness. I see exquisite design. Let, let me give you just one example of <clears throat> hundreds of examples I could give you for design. Let me talk to you about outer space. Our planet <clears throat> floats like a grain of sand in this vast ocean called space. I mean, when you think about the universe, billions of light years and moving at speeds that are unfathomable, just keeps growing. Space, it's like an ocean. And, and our planet is like a grain of sand floating in space. Now, do you understand how harsh, how unforgiving, how uninhabitable space is. Life cannot be supported in outer space. You will never see a meteor streaking across space with people on it going, let's barbecue, woohoo! I mean, no. Let, let me tell you how harsh outer space is. Outer space is actually a vacuum. It's a vacuum total vacuum, which means there's no oxygen. So you, you cannot breathe naturally in outer space. The temperature is negative 454 degrees Fahrenheit. If you and I were exposed in body to outer space, do you know what would happen to us? Like maybe you've watched the movies, but let me just, let me just walk you through it. Our bodies would blow up to two times their size. 
we wouldn't explode, right? But our bodies would just two times the size. Why? Because the, the liquid inside of our body would begin to bubble. You'd be like a giant can of Dr. Pepper that opens up, right? But you would just swell up, right? If, if you were facing this, well, either way, if, if you were, had access to the, to the view of the sun, either your front or your back, the UV, gamma, and radiation rays from the sun would, would just fillet your skin. It, you, your skin would be exposed to that and it would crackle and it would cut. Uh, so, so if you and I were exposed to outer space, we'd be a fried, sunburnt, suffocated, mutant, freezing to death, right? That, that, that's what would happen in the vacuum of space. No way life can be sustained in this vacuum we call space. That's why we have to design spaceships. That's why the people at NASA spend decades building space suits. We've got to keep a human being alive in this container or in this suit because if they were exposed to the vacuum of space, they would not be able to live. So, so in this ocean that resists life, that doesn't support life, let's say you and I come across a spaceship a UFO, and, and we, we're able to capture that or study that, and, and we see that this ship is, is equipped to sustain life, like it's got wires and buttons and thrusters, and the atmospheric pressure is controllable on the inside, and there's steel, and there's rivets, and there's, would, would you and I say, that just happened? Like a meteor crashed into another meteor and wires and buttons and it just all came together to form this thing that can sustain life. And, and that doesn't even explain how life gets on the inside of the ship. Well, that little green man, he just happened to. No, if, if we were to discover UFOs today, do you know what people would say? It's a sign of intelligent life. But what I want you to consider maybe for the first time today is that you and I live on a rock hurling through the vacuum of lifeless space at 67,000 miles per hour. And I suggest our, our earth is like that ship. It's this capsule that keeps us alive in an environment hostile to life. And when you look at this planet, you see it is specifically tweaked beautifully engineered to sustain life in an environment that opposes it. Let me break it down for you. Just a few things, just a few things to consider. Uh, on earth, oxygen makes up 21% of the atmosphere. If the oxygen levels were 25%, only 4% greater, fires would erupt spontaneously all over the planet, not sustaining life. If the oxygen levels were 15%, just 6% lower, we would suffocate. There is no other planet that we've been able to find that has anywhere close to the amount of oxygen needed to sustain life, any kind of life. Our planet orbits the sun in a perfect symmetry, perfect line around the sun. It only gravitates one eighth of an inch every 18 miles keeps us in just the right distance away from the sun. If, if we, uh, so, 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 so if, if it were one-tenth of an inch less, 
the orbit would bring us too close to the sun and we would fry as a planet. If it's one-tenth of an inch uh, farther away, we would freeze to just the right symmetry. The gravitational forces on our planet, if it were altered by this number, look at this next number, if it were alternated by that percent, one with 37 zeros in front of it, the sun would not exist and neither would we. If Jupiter, if Jupiter weren't in its exact place, man, the earth would be bombarded with space material. Jupiter is like the solar system's vacuum cleaner, sucking all of the debris to it. If the thickness of the earth's crust were any greater or any thinner, life would not exist. If the tilt of the axis of the earth, it's 23.5 degrees. If it were altered just ever so slightly, man, life would not be sustained on this planet. What I'm suggesting is that the earth is exactly, exactly the right distance from the sun. It orbits exactly the right way it has to orbit. It's exactly the right distance from the moon. It's exactly the right diameter. It's exactly the right atmospheric pressure. It has exactly the right tilt, exactly the right amount of oceanic water, exactly the right weight, exactly the right mass. And what I'm saying to you is that anybody who looks at this sees a finely tuned space capsule called Earth floating in this ocean that is hostile, resists life, but this planet is keeping us alive. And that's just the capsule. We haven't even talked about how life got inside that capsule. We are told that God specifically designed, specifically engineered our planet so that it could be inhabited by the people he would create. Hugh Ross, is an astrophysicist, he's a creationist. And he has determined there's 122 constants needed for human life to be found on another planet by chance. So how, here, 122 constants has gotta be in place all at the same time in order for life to happen. And, and by chance, he did the calculations and he said the odds of finding life created by chance is 10 to the 138th power. 10 with 138 zeros following it. Were that many requirements to be met just by random chance, he, he said the scientific community would, would laugh that away and dismiss it as ludicrous. But it's what's happened, it's, it's the conditions needed for life here on this planet. So, so what I'm saying to you is why do I believe there's a God? I believe there's a God because I see design. A spider web was made by a spider. A painting was made by a painter. A builder was made by, a building was made by a builder. And when I look at a creation, man, it's, it's gotta come from a creator. So, so I believe there's a God because the universe had a beginning. Every beginning has a cause. I believe there's a God because I see design and every design has a designer. I look, I got time for one more. I, I think there's a God because, because of morality. Morality. Now, now, now stop for a second. You can't weigh morality on a scale. You can't take it out and hold it and see it. But, but you know morality exists. There are right, there, there are things that everybody would say that's right. And there are things that most everybody would say that there's wrong, right? <clears throat> in every culture, in every place, in every time, people know it's wrong to torture a baby. 
wrong. Now, people might do it, and there might be some freaks that don't think it's wrong, but everybody would say, no, that, that's wrong. Um, every culture, every place, everywhere, every time, courage is valued more than cowardice. That's just a reality. Love is better than hate. So the question is, where does that come from? Where did that originate from? How did we get that? And I'll tell you, it didn't come from evolution. Evolution is survival of the fittest. Do what you can, do whoever you can, however you can to help you. So, so, so morality doesn't come from an evolving species. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I can tell you exactly where it came from. A moral code requires a moral lawgiver. Morality requires a moral lawgiver. Look at Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. They'll be over the birds in the, in, the, in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now watch this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible teaches us that mankind, womankind, is different than animal kind. We possess something that no other part of creation, not even the angels. We are composed of pieces of God. He put something into us that he didn't put into anything else. And you know that to be true. No animal can write music. No animal can design a computer. No animal can study biology. Animals have no spiritual connection, no ethical decisions can be made by animals. You'll never see a group of chickens having relief aid for other chickens in Haiti. They don't do that, right? Raccoons don't go to raccoon prayer meetings. Piglets don't stay up worrying about their future. Only humankind has a hunger for God. Only humanity wants to know where they come from and where they're going. Only humanity has these moral fibers that run through their bodies, right? I mean, we're the only creatures with moral capacity. We do not, we do not arrest tigers for killing deer. We don't put them on trial and say, what were you thinking? You killed that deer. No, that's how the animal kingdom works. There's no conscience. There's no morality. But another human being kills a, a human. Oh, we, and rightfully so. We put them on trial, and there's a consequence to pay. Punishment is dished out. We hold a man to a higher standard. Why is that if we're no different than the animals? Because unlike the animals, we are moral creatures with morality embedded into our hearts. And that doesn't come naturally. It comes from something beyond us. Paul writes about where this comes from. Look at what he said in Romans chapter 2. He's talking about the Gentiles, the, the people who don't even believe in God. He said, even the Gentiles who don't have God's written law show us that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their where. 
that's where it comes from. Every human being has embedded in their heart and in their mind a sense of morality, and that doesn't come from within. That comes from the outside. I believe there's a God for many more reasons than this, but what I wanted to share with you this morning, what I wanted to put in your toolbox is just a couple more answers just a couple more reasons that if you're ever engaged in, in dialogue, now I'm not here to win you. I'm not here to prove anything to you. I just want to tell you why I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God because our universe is, is in motion. Our universe had a beginning. There has to be someone outside of space-time matter that kicked that into gear. I, I believe there's a God because I see incredible design that just doesn't happen a rocket ship could never form itself in outer space. In an atmosphere hostile to life, meteors don't crash into other meteors and melt into a spaceship over gazillions of years. I don't care how long you give it. It doesn't just, that systems and engineering, and I see this thing, it doesn't just happen. And then to talk about life inside it, that doesn't just happen. I see design, and design has a designer. And I think there's a God because there's this code. Whether you agree to it, whether you live by it, there is a moral code written on our hearts that has to come from someone beyond us. Now, what we've just done today is we've talked about evidences for a God. I have not told you, and the evidence would not suggest as of today what kind of God he is. We've just talked about, I think there is one. He, he could be a mean God. He could be a loving God. He could be the Christian God, the Buddhist God, the Muslim God. He could be a God that's relational. He could be a God, we, we, we don't... What today was about, we got to break this into little bites. What today is about is, is there a God? In the weeks to come, we're going to kind of unpack what kind of God is he? And I stand here today uh, fully aware that he is a loving God and a good God. And again, I think there's evidence for that. And that's the kind of evidence that we're moving to next. But I want you to know today, there's a God. Let's pray. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I hope that message encouraged you to love, live, and lead like Jesus, to become a disciple that makes more disciples. That is why Fern Creek Christian Church exists. Hey, while you're already on your mobile device, why don't you go to Apple Store or Google Play and download the Fern Creek Christian Church app today. On the app, You'll be able to see other podcasts we have, just like this one. You'll be able to stay up to date on Fern Creek Christian Church news and announcements, and you'll see events and the church calendar throughout the year. Man, you need to download this app today. I'm serious. Go do it. Hey, I want to take a second to invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings, either online or in person. We have three services, one at 845 that we call our homecoming service. That features more hymns and southern gospel music. But then we also have two contemporary services at 10 and 1115. If you would like to give to the ministry happening here at Fern Creek, I want you to go online to our website, www.ferncreekcc.org, and click on the big giving tab you'll see on our main page. If you would like to talk more about the message you just heard or you would like to pray with somebody, call us at 502-239-9300. Again, that's 502-239-9300. Or email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. 
Well, if you're not already a member at Fern Creek Christian Church, we want this place to become your home. So with that, hope you have a blessed rest of your week. Grace, peace. See you next time, church.